Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, the prices of grains, pulses, and oil seeds have fluctuated a lot in recent weeks just as harvest is getting underway across much of the prairies. We'll hear from SaskAg today's chief agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch, and he'll provide his observations on the markets in light of the outlook for principal field crops that was released by Stats Canada on Friday. The Tri-National Agricultural Accord wrapped up in Saskatoon last week. For the first time, industry stakeholders took part in the meetings with agricultural representatives from Canada, the United States, and Mexico. We'll hear from two of those stakeholders. The Saskatchewan Water Security Agency is launching a $500,000 pilot program aimed at helping RMs and irrigation districts cover costs of replacing aging infrastructure. As well, the sight of combines and grain trucks on roadways means harvest time and SAS Power is reminding producers to be safe, especially around power lines this season. A spokesman for SAS Power, Scott McGregor, will tell us about that. And the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association is co-hosting a field day event dedicated to grazing management and grassland restoration tomorrow, coming up on the western side of the province. We'll tell you about it from the president of the Stock Growers Association, Garner Diabold. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. The prices of grains, pulses and oil seeds have fluctuated a lot in recent weeks, just as harvest is getting underway across much of the prairies. SaskAg Today's chief agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch, provides his observations on the markets in light of the outlook for principal field crops released by Stats Canada on Friday. Well, they do a, a bit of a different analysis because they try to take an average price for the entire crop year and compare it to what's the forecast for the upcoming crop year and use acreage and supply and demand and carryover and world supply and demand and and come out with a, an analysis and, and group some things together. So it's useful and interesting information, but it, oftentimes what you garner from all the other market analysts and, and the published prices uh, puts it all into a better context. He's surprised at the difference in price between wheat and Durham right now. Sometimes the, the prices are not all that much difference or, or the uh, the. the price premium for Durham is not that great. This year it is really enlarged. You know, Durham has grown primarily in, in southern Saskatchewan and southern Alberta, where many of those areas hit with uh, dry conditions and, and reduced production. So Durham bids right now have, have ratcheted upwards to around $15 a bushel, whereas wheat is steady or maybe sagged a little bit at $10 a bushel. 
Now, not all areas want to grow durum because it's a little more prone to grading issues and, and maybe has some yield differences to spring wheat, but any area that thinks they could have successfully grown durum uh, would have been very well paid for it this year. And producers, I think, are hearkening back to 2021 where the price really spiked on the, on the drought and the durum shortage and wondering if the price can go even higher. And that's making, I think, them tight holders of Durham not willing to sell as they watch the price continue to increase. So certainly a, a large price premium now for Durham over spring wheat. Hirsch is also surprised that feed barley prices remain so low. That is counterintuitive. You think in a drought situation, barley prices would increase, but a couple of things have happened. One is that American corn is relative, relatively cheap and abundant, and there's lots and lots of uh, corn coming into southern Alberta feedlots. The other issue is that the long-standing 80% tariff that the Chinese had on Australian barley has finally been removed. So the expectation is that the is that Aussie Durham will move into China in a fairly significant way displacing Canadian uh, barley into uh, feed barley into into China, they they were a major export customer these past few years. So the combination of American corn coming in and the uh, loss of some of the Chinese market for feed barley is uh, putting downward pressure on that, even though we're in a drought year. He says the price of oats continues to be quite low, but believes that could change soon. Victim of its success from last year, high yields, high production, and just outpaced uh, what the demand was there. But some of that's turning around with the oat acreage down substantially and uh, some oats moving into the, the feed market that wouldn't have otherwise moved into the feed market. So even though oats haven't zoomed upwards, I think that gradually it will turn the corner and and maybe see some improved values would be be my guess. Anyway, I'm not a market analyst, more an analyst of analysts, but uh, that would be my expectation. Hirsch says the price of pulse crops like peas and lentils seem to be dictated by their color this year. Here we get the the green versus... uh, uh, other colors, again, green being money, and, and green peas are worth considerably more than the yellow peas. And sometimes that price premium is, is little to none or non-existent, but this year green peas are in that $15 bushel range where yellows are stuck at about 10 And the same thing exists in, in lentils. The green lentils are, are much more valuable than reds. Reds are the predominant lentil grown, but large green lentils that make up a significant acreage as well. Large greens are uh, high 50s, approaching 60 cents a pound. Reds have improved a little bit from the numbers I've seen, but they're only about 35 cents a pound. Now, again, not all areas can successfully grow large green lentils, but in areas where you can, uh, it certainly would have been a, a paying proposition this year. He says mustard prices have been pretty good. I would have thought that with the, the big acreage increases we've seen in all three types of mustard the past couple of years, that a reasonable crop would have really depressed the price and that we might have actually been in a glut situation. That minor acreage crop can go from boom to bust. But 
even with the acreage increase with yields being trimmed back in in the mustard growing areas and again mustard similar to Durham maybe even more uh, prone to being grown in the the areas that ended up really dry this year suddenly mustard doesn't look that abundant and the prices have been remained pretty strong not not at the height of where you could have contracted uh, some new crop production but certainly haven't uh, haven't crashed and and may as we go forward even see a little bit of price improvement so for those able to grow a decent mustard crop returns look very promising Hirsch notes canary seed prices are still quite strong. Their acreage was, you know, according to Statistics Canada, and they don't always get the special crops right, but they considered that acreage was down a little bit, production will will not be booming, and uh, there's a, another crop where prices have edged upwards, seeing bids of 42 or 43 cents a pound, which is traditionally pretty good price for canary seed. Now, where that will go is anyone's guess. Some some suggest it still has upside potential. Um, I wouldn't want to venture a guess. He adds there wasn't much flax seeded in Saskatchewan this year. Yeah, flax really crashed. You know, even when flax was really valuable at $40 a bushel, flax acreage did not expect and then we sort of lost uh, much of the market to Russian and Kazakhstan flax that's much cheaper. And at $15 a bushel, a flax doesn't look that competitive compared to many other crops, especially because producers don't like dealing with the residue issue. Now, that has shown a little bit of strength. We seem to be, again, competitive in some of those world export markets for flax but $15 is still not really exciting. Flax is a, a, a crop that really has seen a, a downturn in fortune the past several years. And Hirsch provides his thoughts on canola prices. <laughs> I don't know what, what to guess on canola. I watch it uh, crash, uh, you know, down 20 or $25 a ton some days and have a really bad week and then Next week it turns around and ratchets back up and recoups some or all of the losses. And there's many market analysts out there for canola all pointing different directions. I have no idea where it's going to end up from here. Uh, but I would, I would suspect somewhere range-bound between 16 and $18 to the grower might be, uh, might be where we're sitting. But, yeah, you know, it could break higher or break lower. But I, I think that that's where we've been bouncing around for quite some time, and it's where we may end up for uh, the months ahead. But that's just a guess. Kevin Hirsch is the chief agricultural editor for Saskag today. It's time now for Beef and Forage Report. It's a presentation of Priestville Salvage. See them for new and used ag parts. Beef and Forage Report. Chicago Mercantile Exchange live cattle futures ended higher on Friday after dropping to a six-week low as traders adjusted positions before a government report showed lower-than-expected placements in U.S. feedlots last month. The data, which the U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, issued after trading ended, should further support cattle futures this week. The USDA report said cattle placements into feedlots during July totaled 1.62 million head, down 8.3% from 2022. 
Analysts were expecting a 5.5% drop. A rise in prices for grains used for livestock feed during the second half of July likely discouraged producers from placing cattle into feedlots. Also, some geographic areas had improved pasture land for grazing, allowing producers to keep the animals out of feedlots. Drought prompted U.S. cattle producers to reduce their herds since last year by driving up feed costs and reducing the amount of pasture available for grazing. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. EX94, Ag Review. A new manufacturing partnership will see New Holland Speed Rower Plus and Case IH's WD5 Windrower lines put to work swathing small grains and canola and put made in Saskatchewan faces forward as they do. Case IH and New Holland's parent firm CNH and Honeybee Manufacturing say they've set up a partnership agreement for compatibility between those two windrower lines and Honeybee's WSC Swather Series draper heads. The draper's components and wide swathing widths along with the speed and precision of the Speed Rower Plus make for a fast and efficient harvesting solution. The combination of a WSC 30 swather draper head with the Speed Rower 260 Plus was first put on display at an Ag PhD Field Day event at Baltic, South Dakota on July 25th, while the Honeybee Draper heads for Case IH Windrowers were launched the previous week at Ag in Motion at Langham. CN and CPKC Rail supplied a combined 97% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 2, a modest increase from the previous week's 96% order fulfillment performance. The improved performance in total reflects no change in performance for either railway, but merely a shifting in the weighting of performance. In supplying 99% of hopper cars ordered on time in Week 2, CN matched the performance we saw in Week 1, continuing its run of consecutive weeks above the 90% performance threshold, having now achieved that mark for six consecutive weeks. CPKC order fulfillment performance also matched the performance seen in Week 1, with the railway supplying 95% of cars ordered in Week 2. CPKC continues its run with now 18 straight weeks with order fulfillment performance above the 90% threshold. Canada's Food Inspection Agency says it has completed its investigation into the cases of potato wart in Prince Edward Island that halted exports to the United States. The regulatory agency says its probe found the fungus in four fields, in addition to the two affected fields identified in 2021 that triggered the trade disruption with the island's primary export market. The agency says it's not unusual that it found additional cases of potato wart, given that it analyzed nearly 50,000 soil samples from fields in the province. Canada stopped sending the island's best-known export to the U.S. in November of 2021, after the disease that disfigures potatoes had been detected on the island. Shipments resumed in April, after the U.S. Department of Agriculture gave the all-clear, but not before the disruption cost the island's potato industry more than $50 million in revenue. Potato wart is a persistent soil-borne fungus that, when left unmanaged, 
can cause field losses of between 50 and 100 percent. Countries worldwide are scrambling to secure rice after a partial ban on exports by India cut global supplies by roughly a fifth. Food policy expert Devinder Sharma says the Indian government has taken the right step in banning some rice exports. At the moment, uh, we have adequate stocks to take care of, but uh, we know what happened uh, this particular monsoon uh, season. Uh, lots of floods in one part of the country and also uh, a shortfall in the rains in the other part of the country. And I think uh, this uh, uh, makes us very cautious. Soaring rice prices are now putting the most vulnerable people in some of the poorest nations at risk. Experts say Australia's wine industry faces severe oversupply problems that will need years to resolve, pointing to Chinese tariffs, high production and export bottlenecks during the COVID-19 pandemic. Vineyards nationwide have enough wine in domestic storage to fill 859 Olympic swimming pools. Ties with biggest trading partner China deteriorated in 2020 after Australia called for an inquiry into the origins of COVID, triggering reprisals from Beijing, such as anti-dumping duties on Australian wine and barley. The curbs battered the wine industry, with exports to China shrinking to just $7 million Canadian in the year to June. China, traditionally an avid purchaser of Australian commodities, including iron ore, resumed buying coal and timber this year after tension between the two has eased since the center-left Labour Party won power in Australia last year. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. Your livestock market conditions are coming up next. It's not Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for October closed at 179.87 today. That's up 105. December live cattle closed at 184.30, up 112. September feeder cattle closed at 250.32, that's up 180. October feeder cattle closed at 252.65, up 195. October lean hogs closed at 80.62, down 150. December lean hogs closed at 73.72, down 77. And that's the livestock market conditions. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and 16 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The Saskatchewan Water Security Agency is launching a $500,000 pilot program aimed at helping rural municipalities and irrigation districts cover costs of replacing aging infrastructure. Infrastructure projects such as bridges, culverts, or culvert-style crossings that cross water security agency channels are eligible for 50-50 cost-sharing. The minister responsible for the Water Security Agency, Jeremy Cockrell, says the 
WSA is partnering with rural municipalities to alleviate the financial impact while safeguarding provincial infrastructure and protecting our communities. The agency says there is no deadline to apply to the program and grants will be issued on a first-come, first-served basis. Costs incurred through March 31st of 2024 will also be considered. The sight of combines and grain trucks on roadways means harvest time and SAS Power is reminding producers to be safe, especially around power lines this season. As of August 8th, SAS Power has recorded 187 incidents involving farm equipment, up from 169 incidents on the same day last year. Spokesperson for SAS Power, Scott McGregor, says there could be multiple factors involved in those incidents. could be that, that the, the seeding season started uh, different, at different times. Uh, maybe the harvest in some places started earlier. Uh, it could be that there are, um, you know, like you said, bigger implements out there. It could be any number of things. Um, we're not really going to know of uh, the full picture of, of how this, this farming season shook out in terms of line contacts uh, until you know, later on, on after all the crops are off the field. He says they usually see an increase in incidents in the spring and fall. SAS Power is sharing tips to prevent equipment from coming into contact with power lines. One of them is ensuring farmers have a plan. You know, plan a route ahead of time. If you can, utilize a spotter uh, for that extra set of eyes on the ground when you're operating large equipment around power lines. Be, being very aware of how large your, your equipment is. I mean, farm equipment seems to get bigger and bigger every single year. And some of these implements, they're only driven two to three weeks out of the year sometimes. And so it's hard to get that unconscious knowledge of how big the vehicle is, especially, you know, when you're operating it in tight spaces around, around power lines and other obstacles. So just really, really being prepared uh, and staying alert is really the most important thing you can do to, uh, to stay safe during harvest. The Crown Corporation also recommends using the Look Up and Live map on their website. Uh, we have an interactive map that shows all of the above ground power lines and power poles throughout the entire province. Um, so that's a really helpful tool for anyone who is uh, you know, moving equipment from field to field or even just like going to their field to start getting harvest underway. Uh, to plan a route so they can avoid as many power lines and power poles as humanly possible. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really useful map in terms of, of see, getting visibility on where all of the power lines are and then being able to plan your day around that. McGregor has heard positive feedback from farmers who do use the online map. Another point is knowing what to do in the event of a fire, hitting a power line, or in the case of an emergency. You know, in the event that anybody does come into contact with a power line, and we know that nobody sets out to, to hit a power line at the beginning of the day, but in the event that it does happen, the most important thing to remember is it's almost always the safest to remain in your vehicle. I mean, obviously, if a, if a grass fire has started or if it's not safe to remain in your vehicle, then you should ex exit safely. But, you know, if you do come into contact with a power line or a power pole, anything like that, and it's it, there's no fire that's been ignited, remain in your vehicle, give our outage center or 911 a call. Um, our outage center phone number is 310-2220. We will have a, a technician sent out to make sure that the area is safe. More information on working safely around power lines can be found on Sask Power's website. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up across the board again today. November canola closed at 809.40, 
That's up $8.90. January canola closed at 8.15.10, also up $8.90. September Minneapolis wheat closed at 7.82 and a quarter. That's down 20 and a half cents. September Kansas City wheat closed at 7.41 per bushel, down 12 and a half cents. September Chicago wheat closed at 5.99 and a quarter, down 14 cents. September corn closed at 4.69 and a quarter, down 10 and a quarter cents. September soybeans closed at 13.70 per bushel, that's up 7 and a quarter cents. September oats closed at 4.41 per bushel, up 2 and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. Welcome back to SaskAg today. Since April, farmers have been using new options to control gophers after Strychnine completed the three-year deregistration process in April. Dr. Vanessa Cowan is an assistant professor of toxicology at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. She says farmers need to use the same care in placing and storing the new products as they did with strychnine. The active ingredient of the uh, replacement product is called zinc phosphide. Typically, the rodenticide will come in a 2% formulation, whether that be pellets or oats, um, some kind of treated bait. In terms of efficacy, a pilot study done by the government of Saskatchewan showed that zinc phosphide was just as efficacious as strychnine for killing Richardson ground squirrels or gophers and potentially a little less expensive. However, it is just as toxic to any other animal that would be ingested. One relative advantage of zinc phosphide, because a major reason for the phase-out of strychnine was non-target species becoming poison, so whether that be wildlife or livestock or people's pets, zinc phosphide, because of the way that the bait works, the bait hits the stomach and the stomach acid causes a chemical reaction to release phosphine gas, and that's the toxic component of the rodenticide and what ultimately will kill the animal. That reaction doesn't happen after death, after a certain point. So animals that may come across a gopher that has been poisoned with zinc phosphide, they will not get secondary poisoning from chewing that animal or eating that animal. So that is a good thing about zinc phosphide. However, the concern is that if baits are not placed properly or if there is easy access to the baits, that animals still can get into the baits. And for example, horses who really like oats will ingest the bait, not be deterred by any sort of chemical in the bait and will become poisoned. She lists the symptoms of ingesting zinc phosphide. So it varies a little bit by species, but dogs, typically the first symptom you will see is very profuse vomiting, and it can appear, appear to be bloody vomiting as well. In contrast, horses are a species that cannot vomit, but they will become very sick relatively quickly as well. In both cases, animals can have neurological symptoms. So similar to strychnine, they can have seizures, but Unlike strychnine, seizures um, 
seizures with strychnine poisoning are kind of the predominant sign. However, with zinc phosphide, there's also respiratory irritation. So animals will have trouble breathing. They will have diarrhea, significant vomiting if you're a species that can vomit. And if animals survive that insult, uh, they can still die of liver failure from days later. And we cannot really predict if liver failure is going to happen. Dr. Cowan says there's one way to reverse the effects of the zinc phosphide. If you catch this quickly, the best thing that you can attempt to do is give the animal antacids. Because of the acidity of the stomach, that is what drives the chemical reaction to produce the phosphine gas. So if you can give the animal antacids, whether that be proton pump inhibitors or histamine blockers or even Tums, something that just will reduce the acidity, that can help stop production of further phosphine gas. However, it will not reverse any signs that the animal is already experiencing. So there is no specific antidote. Early intervention in the course of the poisoning is highly important. She's seen what the poison can do to livestock. Yes, we've had four cases in horses this year. We also currently do not have an analytical method to detect zinc phosphide in any samples that we get from animals that may have signs of poisoning. But as with any rodenticide, there is potential for misuse and accidents do happen. And as for the results of that poisoning... I can't give specific details, but I know that one horse did die. Dr. Cowan then provided some advice on this poison. I think it's very important for people to ensure that they're using proper personal protective equipment when placing these baits and paying close attention to the label instructions, and that using the label will give you the best chance of mitigating any risk, because certainly accidents happen, and following the label instructions, whether you use tamper-proof bait boxes or you bury the bait in the gopher burrows, those are options. Additionally, there are other products available on the market, though I realize that they are more expensive and potentially more labor-intensive for people, but those are the anticoagulant rodenticides. And the only reason I bring those up is because there is actually an antidote for that poisoning. You give the animals vitamin K1 if they present to you early in the case of poisoning, and most animals make a recovery. Whereas with zinc phosphide, you would have to intervene almost immediately after the animal ingested the poison. There's also the human health risk from inhaling the phosphine gas from the animals because we can get poisoned as well. And it's likely to be a very complicated kind of medical treatment with a poor prognosis. Dr. Vanessa Cowan is an assistant professor of toxicology at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. She says farmers need to use the same care in storage and placement of zinc phosphide, which has replaced strychnine for gopher control in Canada. Farm Bulletin Board. Just a reminder that the nomination period for director positions with both the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission and the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission is now open. 
The deadline to receive completed nomination forms for both organizations is September 6th at 12 noon. Should the organizations receive more nominations than there are director positions available, elections will be declared and held during the period of October 19th through November 29th. Nomination forms and election information can be found on their websites, saskbarley.com and saskwheat.ca. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of isolated showers, more south of Yorkton. Winds south-southeast at 15 to 25 and a high of 18 degrees. For tonight, a 40% chance of showers and possible thunderstorms. Winds east-southeast at 15 to 25, a low of 13. For tomorrow, a 20% chance of spotty showers, then partly sunny. Winds east-southeast at 15 to 30, a high of 19, an overnight low of 13. For Wednesday, partly sunny with a 30% chance of late showers, winds south-southwest at 10 to 20, and a high of 19. For Thursday, a 60% chance of showers, a high of 20, and Friday, sunny, a high of 22. In the Paw, it's 21 degrees, Swan River 17, Dauphin 20, Brandon, Show Lake Russell 14, Roblin and Regina 16. Saskatoon is at 18, Hudson Bay 20, Broadview Mooseman 15, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington 17. The Yorkton Melville region has a cloudy sky, a south southeast wind at 15 kilometers an hour, 78% is the relative humidity, the temperature is 16 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. Saskag today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.